So I'll just start off with a little review of where we're at. Okay? Back to basic. What are the two things the Buddha taught? Okay, what did he say about suffering? How to know. <laughs> the first noble truth. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, suffering is optional. optional. Second noble truth. Craving is the cause of suffering. Craving is the cause of suffering. The third noble truth. Through wisdom, ignorance can be overcome, and thus craving, and thus suffering. Yeah. That, that once once uh, you have overcome ignorance and achieved wisdom, there's a permanent cessation of craving and a permanent cessation of suffering. <coughs> and the fourth noble truth? The Eightfold Path. Eightfold path. To get there. Yes. And what did we talk about? The Eightfold Path. What are the two... Two of the eight that we've discussed so far. Right thinking. Yeah, right, right thinking or right understanding. And it's right intention. Okay, so the, 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 first, the first two constitute the, the wisdom group. We're going to begin talking now about the next three, and they constitute the virtue group. And if you may recall, those are right speech, right action, and right livelihood. So we'll start out right speech. And what is right speech? Thinking before you speak. That's a really important... I wish I did it more. Yeah. Now, does that, does that mean that as... No matter what you say, as long as you thought first, it would be right. <laughs> <laughs> Causing no harm to our words. That would be a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thinking I, after you speak. So, you know, uh, how did that go and what do I do next time? Well, yes. Right speech is also, put it this way, being aware of the impact that your speech has had, and even though your intentions may have been good, it may not have had the desired effect, uh, which means you can learn from it. So, yes. What else can we say about right speech? Does anyone happen to know the formula for right speech that's usually usually given? Right speech is blah 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 blah. It's four things. Uh, well, actually, there there are uh, there are other places than the ones I was thinking of where it's uh, it's important that it's true and helpful and timely. I was thinking of the particular formulation that gets repeated the most often. That most people. Uh, so the the they have, they have sentence, right? Like so, the, where you abstain from lying and right. harsh speech and divisive uh, speech. Okay, there's four of them. It is refraining from uh, false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and idle speech and gossip. Those are the four. Now those are actually, that defines right speech in terms of what's wrong speech. (laughs) Uh, And so... By 
why somebody could say to themselves, okay, it means as long as it's not wrong speech, it must be right speech. Would that be true? No. No. No, that's, that would not be true. So although this is the traditional formula, and it's a really good place to start, because definitely anything that's wrong speech is not right speech. But the, the converse is not true, that anything that's not wrong speech is not necessarily right speech. Which is really where this other uh, uh, description of right speech that a few of you had is, is really important. Uh, it's, it must also be uh, not only true, but helpful and uh, timely. So that, that's another aspect of it. But it even goes beyond that. Right speech is right is speech that is beneficial, positive, that helps others, that um, reduces the suffering in the world. That, for that matter, you know, you can say something that makes somebody feel better. But the most important thing you can say is something that helps somebody to feel better all the time. Or, in other words, uh, using using speech to uh, help spread the dharma would be an example of right speech. So anyway, let's begin, though. Let's begin with wrong speech and, and talk about that for a minute. Yeah. You're asking if maybe you would be willing to begin by, uh, since we're just starting off with this virtue piece, maybe just kind of an overview of the place of virtue in the overall path, like why it matters, how to understand it. Yeah. Uh, very good point. Well, right speech, right action, right livelihood are really, uh, that is what's being referred to as virtue. Uh, these are very important to understand. These are practices. <clears throat> these are not rules that you follow. I mean, they are rules that you follow, but if you just follow them as rules, they're not going to they're, they're going to be useful for you as rules to follow. But you won't be you won't really be tapping into the true value of them. The practice of virtue. Is, is exactly that. It, it is a practice, and it's a practice for your, your mental development. It's a practice that leads you to make all kinds of good karma. It's actually a practice that leads to wisdom and leads to overcoming ignorance. Um, you cannot progress on the larger path, the path to awakening, without practice of virtue. It just, it won't work. Uh, uh, understanding, study, all these kinds of things, they won't get you there by, by itself, by themselves. Meditation will not get you there by itself. And even the combination of study and meditation get you there by itself. The practice of the virtue is playing an extremely important role in the whole thing. One of the ways we could look at it, if we go back to the back to the uh, suffering and the cause of suffering, 
what what we really recognize there is that you know pain is inevitable we cannot live in the kind of world we live in being the kind of beings we are uh you know even if we had an ideal perfect society without experiencing pain and inflicting pain pain is inevitable we're just that kind of beings we're going to experience pain so that's why pain is inevitable suffering though has to do with the way the mind reacts to the the pain that is inevitably a part of life and it's generated by the mind so from this we can draw a principle that since there's a certain amount of pain that is inevitably associated with existence then we don't we don't need to create any more pain and suffering in the world so we can distinguish between avoidable pain and suffering in the world and unavoidable pain and suffering in the world what we need to focus on is what's avoidable to we we it it should be sort of universally obvious to everyone i think that in a world that involves a certain amount of inevitable pain that if there is a moral principle at all that moral principle is not causing any unnecessary pain and suffering right you agree with that and that's as, as a matter of fact that's as much as we need in terms of, of moral principle harmlessness so we could we can define our morality our ethics virtue all these kinds of things around this basic principle of harmlessness and that's really what right speech right action and right why that's the basis of right speech right action right livelihood we could sum up the practice of virtue as the practice of harmlessness but if we go to the the second noble truth we see that our own suffering is caused by craving and we go to the third truth and we see that the complete ending of our suffering uh, must be achieved through overcoming ignorance and achieving wisdom and virtue plays a really important role in this now if you can agree and everybody i think everybody in the room has that harmless we can see harmlessness as as a moral principle does anybody disagree with that okay now let's ask ourselves a question why would we ever knowingly do something that creates unnecessary pain and suffering in the world why do we Ignorance and craving. When we say ignorance, what is it we're ignorant of? Connection. What? Uh, 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 connection. That, uh, you know, if I punch you, it hurts me too. Really? How did you put that, Tucker? Oh, if I punch you, it hurts me too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. We, we are ignorant of that fact, right? And the other side of ignorance is delusion. We have a set of beliefs. 
And if if you if you punch me and you're ignorant of the fact that uh, when it hurts you, it it hurts me too. Uh, it hurts me, it hurts you too, whatever, whichever side of it you're on. Uh, but why why would you do something that would hurt somebody? Because the other part of the delusion, right? The other part of the delusion is we think that we are a separate self and that all these other beings and things in the world are likewise separate self-existent entities, right? <coughs> and furthermore, we believe that our happiness and our suffering is a result of our inter of the interaction of this self with these other self-existent entities. That's really the, the key to this, this whole ignorance thing. Ignorance gives rise to craving. And, and craving is the desire for pleasure and happiness and the aversion to pain and suffering. The, the relationship is that ignorance of what's true causes us to live in a state of delusion. And living in a state of delusion is the basis for the craving that we experience. And the craving is the cause of all of our suffering. So why would you ever do something that causes avoidable or unnecessary harm to anyone else? Okay, yeah, you, 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 you have aversion. A, aversion would be a reason. Impulsivity. What's that? Impulsivity. You could do something impulsively, uh, perhaps without, uh, without the intention to hurt them, but what would probably lie behind your impulse? Fear and anger or desire. Ignorance. 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 Ignorance, yeah. Yes. Ignorance is a really important part of impulsivity. We may have ADD. All the filters are gone. Well. What about what? Rushing too fast. Rushing too fast, yeah. Mindlessness. What? Wh why would you ever rush too fast? To get what you want, so to speak. Because what? <clears throat> to get what you want. Or what you yeah, to get what you want. Yeah. Really, the, the only reason that you would intentionally, knowingly do something that caused harm is that you believe it's going to benefit you. It is, in some way or another, going to make you feel better, give you some pleasure, make you happy, or it's going to reduce your pain, reduce your suffering, uh, avoid, uh, uh, allow you to avoid some kind of suffering. So, if virtue is the practice of harmlessness, this is an important thing for us, for me to repeat. 
When I say harmlessness, harmlessness does not mean that you cause no harm at all. That is not what, because that is impossible. It is impossible to live without causing harm. And at the time of the Buddha, there were a large group of, uh, uh, a very large group of people who, this is what they, what they tried to do, is to cause no harm at all. And they, and, and the only way, that ultimately, the only way that you could cause no harm at all is to sit down and not eat and not drink and not move until you die. That's the only way you can. And, and even there, there's a certain amount of harm that's going to come to those around you. So it's absolutely impossible to, uh, to cause absolutely no harm in the world. So harmlessness rather means not causing any unnecessary harm in the world. So virtue is the practice of harmlessness, meaning that you don't knowingly and intentionally do anything that is harmful to any other being, if it can be avoided. Of course, we get into an area here of, well... Um, in order, in order to live, I'm going to do things that cause harm to other beings. So, you end up having to make choices. And this is really where the practice of virtue comes in. It's all about the choices you make and the reasons that underlie your choices. That's the practice of virtue. The purpose of the practice of virtue is to, first of all, make you aware of craving, of desire and aversion, as they are constantly driving your behavior. And through that, make you more aware of the ignorance and the delusion that lies behind that craving. So that is the purpose of the practice of virtue. And how you practice virtue is through mindful awareness and carefully considering your actions and the intentions behind your actions. Make sense? So the practice of virtue ties in very directly. The whole purpose of the Eightfold Path is the end of suffering. And the end of suffering comes through overcoming uh, craving and overcoming the ignorance that drives craving. And so the practice of virtue is very, very much a practice, a very powerful practice, that helps us to overcome ignorance and to overcome craving and by doing so approach that place in ourselves where we will be free from, be free from suffering. Does that put virtue in a proper context as a practice? It's a mindfulness practice. Yeah. When I drive my car and unintentionally I kill a mouse, and so, you know, I didn't intend it that, I can justify that it's not intentional. When I kill a cockroach, I can say, I kill this cockroach because I am... Um, um, really disgusted, or I can say 
the cockroach can create um, or can carry diseases and I need to protect my house and my family. You can justify that. So I, I wonder where, where the real intention then sits when you can justify something like this. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's, that's why if, we, if, if these things were just rules that you follow, and, and let's, let's put it in the context of uh, right speech, Although, I guess we could talk about killing cockroaches too. If they were just rules that you follow, then you will end up in all kinds of logical conundrums, all sort of paradoxical situations. As a matter of fact, I guarantee that if, if I presented it that way, that thou shalt so-and-so, then there'd be all kinds of people saying, yeah, but what about blah, 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 right speech, okay. Uh, right speech means refraining from engaging in false speech. So, somebody bursts into the room and wears, says, where's so-and-so? I'm going to kill them. And it just happens to be your name. <laughs> Would you say, oh, I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> me and George Washington. <laughs> it's me. Shoot. <laughs> And that, that's logically absurd. And you can come up with unlimited numbers of examples of situations where a set of rules is going to be totally useless to you. And that's not the point. First of all, you mentioned if you're driving a car and you unintentionally kill a mouse. Well, the fact that there was no intention there kind of puts it outside the domain of not causing harm, because you didn't intentionally cause harm. Although, I'll just throw this out to you. Uh, If your killing the mouse happened because of something that you were doing that you wouldn't necessarily need to have been doing, you might, I mean, I can't imagine what the situation would be. Well, it's kind of hard to imagine a whole scenario that would make much sense there. But let's say if you realize that, well, if I hadn't been doing such and so, well, why don't we think, you know, if you unintentionally kill a person driving your car because you were drinking and driving, well, it's pretty obvious that uh, the conclusion you can draw from that is that, well, uh, I I didn't intend to do it, but uh, the drinking the driving after I had been drinking, that was an intentional action, and I can learn from it, change it. Yeah. You said you were having trouble uh, imagining a whole scenario where this happened. I I lived one. I was uh, in the car with my cock-headed date one day in in my extreme youth, and it was evening. We were driving on our way to some venue, and this great muscle car room roamed in front of us and, and was, you know, making a great show of I am a great muscle car. This little squirrel happened to, to be trying to cross the roadway, and this muscle car swerved to make a point of killing it. And, and my date was shocked. And then the muscle car roomed off because he was very happy to have 
killed the squirrel, I guess, I don't know. He was peeing a muscle car. And I, I was stunned when my date uh, slammed the thing into Fort Deer and floored it. And we did this hot pursuit thing through the city. And I'm sitting in the passenger side saying, oh, and uh, uh, my date flips down the glove box and there's a 38 Snubby in there. And, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting day. <laughs> and uh, of course, the, the great white muscle car zoomed off into the night. We never caught him. Um, but there's an example of what happens when somebody intentionally does harm and this great chain falls into just going and going because clearly my date was suffering on behalf of the squirrel. That's where it begins. But then you flip down the, the glove box and there's the gun. And uh, that would have been intentionally positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There. So so you wanted a scenario? I lived one there, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I, I was sort of fishing for a scenario. Well, not, not fishing for I mean, I, I don't, we don't need one. I was just saying that as far as killing a mouse with a car goes, unintentionally, you know, uh, a situation where you could learn from that and change your future behavior. Okay, what the point that I wanted to make is that in that we're going to really focus on the intentional actions and intentional speech and so forth. But there is, and what's intentional, what is unintentional, does fall outside of the scope of that. Although, although, even when you cause harm unintentionally, sometimes you can learn from it so that you can, in the future, not cause harm unintentionally. So that's kind of moving. That's just sort of filling in the gaps around the edges. But let's come back to the focus. The killing the cockroach, that's a much better example. So, all right. Now... This is not about a rule. Actually, we, this, this is right action says, uh, says to avoid uh, killing and causing harm to living beings. So we're really talking about right action. But we'll get back to right speech. But in that case, killing a cockroach, if we were to treat that just as a thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill anything, or you're, you're kind of stuck, you know. If you kill a cockroach, you're wrong, no matter what your reason. But that's not very realistic, because sometimes there's good reasons to kill a cockroach. Or at least you may think there's good reasons. And after all, if you think there's good reasons, if you believe there's good reasons, who else in the world has the right to judge you if you sincerely believe you have a good reason to kill a cockroach. No one. The only person that can judge your actions and intentions is yourself. And that's what this is about. It's about you examining your intentions. It's not about me judging you because you kill a cockroach. It's about you examining where this decision came from and what it is rooted in. And it's quite possible you have all you, you suggested oh, cockroaches carry diseases, blah, blah, blah. 
if you've ever lived in an apartment that's been overrun with cockroaches, what do you do? There's really no way to get rid of the cockroaches without killing them. Uh, leaving the cockroaches there is going to cause you a lot of suffering in one way or another, and actually it's going to cause your neighbors a lot of suffering too, when the cockroaches move out of their place and into there. <laughs> so, it, we can come up with scenarios where it would make sense that a person would come to the conclusion that, oh, okay, the best thing may be to kill the cockroach. And does that mean that a person kills a cockroach? It means that they would not have been practicing virtue? If they didn't do it with in a place, from a place of mindfulness and self-examination where they they carefully considered what they were doing and the reasons for it and the trade-offs, then they weren't practicing virtue because the practice of virtue means that, you know, this is a guideline that says, hey, whenever you're about to kill something, think very carefully, examine your own mind. Now, if the person hasn't been doing this very much and they don't do a very good job of examining their mind, for example, they kill a cockroach in the garden and they come up with a rationalization for it. That may not be a good example either, but the point is somebody does something and they believe that they have examined their motivation, but they didn't have the skill to examine their motivations deeply enough. Would they be practicing virtue then? Do you understand the situation? Okay. You, you, from the point of view of these are rules, you broke the rule. From the point of view of the practice of virtue as a practice, you did try to reflect on, on your motives and make a decision based on, on mindful consideration. But on deeper examination, the premises by which you went ahead may turn out to be false. Now, in that situation, were you or were you not practicing virtue? Yeah. You were. Yeah, you were. You may not, you were practicing it. You may not be really good at it yet, <laughs> but you were practicing it. And that's the point. Uh, you're practicing virtue if, if you give the best and deepest mindful consideration you can to your actions and the consequences of your actions and the motivations for your actions and so forth. And if you've done the best you can, then that's the best you can. You can't expect more of yourself, nor can anybody else. No one else is in a position to judge you. And you shouldn't, as, as long as you did make the effort, you shouldn't judge yourself either. Although if a day later or an hour later and reflecting upon it, you realize that you didn't really, that, that you hadn't seen as clearly as you could, then you can say, wow, I'm going to be more mindful next time. That's a good thing. But don't judge yourself 
as long as you as long as you are making the effort, which of course doesn't mean that you can make a make believe effort and then justify doing what you wanted to do anyway. What what has that got to say about people who find themselves between a rock and a hard spot, where you have a choice and they're both bad? What it says it says the same thing it says about absolutely everything. If you're going to practice virtue, the practice of virtue is not dependent upon the decision you make. It's not dependent of which bad thing you chose or lesser of two evils or anything like that. The practice of virtue is that that you gave it deep consideration and you made the best choice that you could. The best choice that you were capable of. And then paid attention. And then paid attention to the consequences. Yeah. And that's the other thing, is mindfulness doesn't stop when you've decided to act. Mindfulness continues as you observe the consequences of the action, both in the world and on yourself, in your own mind. That's the continuation of mindfulness. And of course, that is where you might come to that place of realizing that your motives weren't what you thought they were. That your rationalization was just that. A rationalization so that you could go ahead and do what you had the inclination to do, what you had the habit of doing, so on and so forth. The practice of virtue is all about the mindfulness that you bring to your choices, the reasons for your choices, and the consequences of your actions. The practice of virtue is not about judging the actual choices that you make, or even judging the outcome of those choices. But virtue, in order to give you a way to practice virtue, you need a set of guidelines. And you already have one in terms of harmlessness. Cause no unnecessary avoidable harm. That's your basic guideline. And then to to break it down a little further and simplify it, you have right speech, right action, and right livelihood to help you focus in a little more. And then to help you focus in even more, you can break down right speech into refraining from the four different kinds of wrong speech. False speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and idle speech and gossip. So let's look at the four kinds of wrong speech. Let's start with, well, first of all, let's make sure everybody understands what they are. False speech Pretty straightforward. Can you think of any gray areas? What about little white lie? Or, or omission. Or what? Or omission. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Omissions. Omissions, yeah. Oh, no, we can't do away with exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> I second that. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> omission. <laughs> exaggeration. <laughs> What kind of a story would that be? <laughs> <laughs> little white so, lies. So, so a, a white lie seems like just a subset of an instance where saying something false makes the world a happier place, you know? Yeah. Well, you think you're protecting somebody's 
Oh, like, that's a you know, that haircut looks great on you. You know, <laughs> it is not true, but it makes it makes the world have a place. <laughs> that is the nature of little white lies. Yeah. But there's 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 also kind of big dark lies that uh, uh, can be for the same purpose, right? So, so that's what false speech is. It's anything that isn't really true, and it's not really black and white. There is a lot of gray area. You know, I just on the one hand, you could say something that isn't really true in order to make somebody else feel better. On the other hand, you could say something that is absolutely, totally true. Your purpose is to hurt them. Right? I'm only saying this for your own good. (laughs) You need this knife stabbed through your heart. You'll grow and become a better person because of it. (laughs) What do you you do with with the situation about... Exactly that, that you know somebody and they talk too much. They have the talking disease. (laughs) And they're oblivious to it. And what what you see happening is people starting to avoid them because they don't want to get trapped in a car with them, God forbid. (laughs) And they don't know what's going on. They have no idea why their interactions are as they are. What you do and the consequences of what you do are one thing. Why you do what you do is something else again. So, what you do and how you do it and the consequences, all of that depends on the level of skill you have. And But the practice of virtue is being mindful and examining your your motivations, your purposes, so on and so forth. So they're really they're they're two closely related things. If you are practicing virtue, you may what you do may be unskillful, and it may actually hurt the other person, and it may hurt them in such a way that that rather than helping them to improve, uh, it makes it harder for them to improve. So, you know, you could totally blow it. And if you do, then you can improve your skill by reflecting on it and realizing that, okay, I didn't really know what I was doing. And that will help you be more skillful next time. But the practice of virtue is really all about examining your motives. And it's very easy if some if somebody does something like you described. Now you said you're totally oblivious to it. If it doesn't bother you at all, but your only reason for speaking is you realize it's causing that person a lot of problem in their life, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to try to do something to help," and you make an effort to think of the best way you can do this, the best way you can put it, and you do your best. Your motivation is to help them and not to hurt them. You might or might not blow it. Who knows? 
But so often what happens is it's not the case that you are oblivious and it doesn't bother you at all. It annoys the hell out of you. And your reason for telling them isn't to help them, yeah, as you see. Stop. What's that? To get them to stop. <laughs> you just want them to stop. <laughs> or you're just annoyed and you're sick and tired of this and I'm going I'm going to say something. Right? So practice of virtue is, is that that's what it's all about. If you can say to yourself, the only reason I'm saying this was for that person's own good. But you have to look deeply inside yourself to determine is that really your motivation? And if it is, great. And even if you blew it, it's still great, but learn from it so that next time you are more skillful. So it seems like in the practice of virtue, realizing constantly that you could be wrong is really important. Well, yes, right. Even when you think that you're right, that you still could be wrong because lots of people think. Yeah, and you get right down to it, that's a, a second, completely separate action which needs to be evaluated mindfully as well. Because if you, if you say something to a person and it doesn't turn out, uh, it doesn't turn out well, then a lot of times what you can do is you can say, well, what else can I do? You know, you, you refuse to, so I was right to say it. You refuse to accept that you made a mistake, but you don't learn when you do that. So. Do you get better at determining your own real motivation your practice this is exactly what this practice is about is getting to getting to know what your own real motivations are yes so it's a practice I mean at first you're gonna find out that oh I was kidding myself that's right yeah. fairly often that's right and they're often mixed the motives. yeah as a matter of fact in this example here it could be a mixture of you really do feel sorry for the way this person creates their own suffering by that. But at the same time, you're just really annoyed by it. You know, it's a mixed motives, right? Lots of mixed motives. Lots of different layers. You know, one layer is, oh, I'm doing this to help. Deeper layer is, I'm doing this because it drives me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, just believing that you are doing something, that you're doing your best, doesn't necessarily make it right. Either, That's right. Like if a religious fanaticism, if somebody is a suicide bomber and they cause a lot of harm, they fully 100% believe that they were doing, that, you know, I mean, they were doing it because they fully believe they were doing something good. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, even if they mindfully decided it, that doesn't make it right. Yeah, it, it's conceivable that so the quality of somebody's mindfulness could be so poor that, that they don't, uh, yeah, that they think they're doing something that's good, but it's not. Although, example there, uh, to willfully cause harm to yourself and other people is going to be rooted in some powerful aversion. And also, I don't know whether 
Muslim bombers actually believe this or not. But if you believe that you're going to go straight to heaven and have uh, 47 versions or something like that, that, that would be a desire. That would be rooted in a combination of desire and aversion. Desire and aversion, or desire and diversion. <laughs> desire and aversion, or desire and a virgin? <laughs> now we're all going to think that every time we So does anybody here ever engage in false speaking? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know the the false speech one is really kind of you know, it's got big flags around it and boxes and you can identify it. The gossip one is the, is the one that's... Um, the which? Gossip, gossip one. The gossip one. Oh, I'm idiots. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's why we should work our way up to that one by stages. <laughs> <laughs> I think the false speech is actually challenging for me. It's only in hindsight a lot of the time that I can really, really see that. That is oh. a very good point. Can you relate to that? That... A lot of times, it's only in hindsight that you realize you're engaging in false speech. Well, the example of exaggeration is a good example of that, right? How often, only in hindsight, do you realize that you were exaggerating? And think about how many other times that you didn't have the hindsight, but you were exaggerating anyway. <laughs> With idle speech, uh, sometimes, I mean, yes, it's really, you know, it is idle. But sometimes one needs to kind of begin that way if you want to make contact with the person. But you may say a few really well. Th- now we have to ask ourselves. There we have to ask ourselves whether it's really idle speech or not. That's why I wanted to. Well, that's a good point too, because it right. also depends on well, what's my motive here. It depends on your motive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, with absolutely really everything. Yeah. You know, so, you know, idle speech is. How's the weather? What do you think of those wildcats or something like that? But it may be that your motive for saying that to somebody is is something that is is very positive. That it's not idle speech at all. It's or it, it could, could be very skillful. It could be bad, well, not bad, but it could be uh, not so good because you might think, I wonder if this person likes me. It could yeah. be mixed. Well. Okay, so I, I so want to kind of... So that has to do with desire, yeah. obviously. So are you okay. saying exaggeration is, is a false speech? Exaggeration I mean, is false speech. It really is. It's exaggeration is false speech. Lying. What about idle speech? It's, depending on your culture. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, see, that's, that's what I'd I, I like for us to just stick with one thing first, because okay? okay? And come to idle speech and gossip later. All right. And I think... <clears throat> But let's just let's just focus on on one. And actually, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, which is to be aware as you can of the instances when you engage in any kind of false speech, knowingly, 
where your intentions are clear, you did it, but you're not going to admit it because you don't want to suffer the consequences. You know, so you lie and say, no, I didn't do it. No, I never saw it. Or all of those little ways that involve omissions or exaggeration or little white lies or anything else. And I want you to, to try to be aware of it when you're doing it. And sometimes that's going to be easy because you know damn well when you're engaging in false speech. But then there's going to be those times that you only realize in retrospect. You know, you, you didn't even, you're so used to talking this way that you didn't even, you didn't even, you weren't even aware of it when you did it. You're going to find that there's a lot of those. And of course, for everyone you find, you have to ask yourself, how many times have I done it and not noticed after? Um, I might share my own observation. This is, I've done this homework assignment, or I've been doing it over the course of time, is what I've noticed is I can feel the mind start to craft the speech. So I've done enough where I've seen in hindsight take it only through hindsight of going, oh, you know, what was motivating? But then, as I become more mindful towards observing the mind as it, it, I can see it begin to craft the false speech, um, sometimes it happens so fast if I'm having coffee, I don't, yeah, right. I don't pull it back. But fortunately, if I'm in a calm state, I can just feel my mind begin to want to craft that thing. Yeah. And it's pretty... Freaky, almost. Pretty what? Freaky, almost. Freaky, yeah. Yeah, because it, I mean, I can literally feel it pulling. Yeah, yeah. and what what you probably find is sometimes it's like you're split. There's a part of you that's watching yourself do it, and there's another part of it that's doing it, and it's really yeah, it's yes. a very very separate thing. So I I want you to take this by stages. The first is is the emphasis is on. Just being aware, being aware of what you're doing. And then the second stage, when you start doing this whenever you feel ready, but remember, you want to first get really good at being aware. The second stage is to begin to try to understand why I'm doing that. Okay? I'm a valuable. I said something that isn't true, or I'm about to say something that isn't true, it doesn't matter which. But see if you can can touch in on, well, why am I doing that? I don't have to do that. Why am I choosing to do that? What is it that I believe that I'm gaining? I'm going to impress somebody. They're going to like me more. A lot of exaggeration is for that, right? It'll, it'll make for a more exciting discussion. I want this other person to agree with my opinion, so I dress my facts up a little bit to be more convincing. Try to find the desire and or the aversion that is behind it. And then, as you do that, you're going to find yourself moving towards the third stage just naturally, which is if you catch yourself about to say something that is not true, 
and you can see that it is rooted in desire or aversion, try restraining yourself and seeing what happens. And evaluate that. Okay, I could have I, I could have said this thing that's not true, but I didn't. Now, how bad is that? That's the other part of the awareness. I mean, the, the part of you that engages in false speech does it because that part of you really believes that there's going to be some real benefit from it. So you need to test that. And of course, sometimes there is some real benefit from it. But you might discover that a lot of it is just, it really doesn't make any difference. It's just a habit. You're always working towards that edge. And a little bit of exaggeration, a little bit of omission. That thing didn't go off. After 8.30. Oh, it's very quiet. Oh, the sound got turned down. Okay. Which is okay. That's okay. There we go. People karma corn tonight. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if they, if, they, if they helped free karma corn, if they helped it afterwards, okay? Knowing full well that the, that, uh, that the popcorn was free anyway, yeah. whether they helped or not. <laughs> <laughs> and the motivation was, was to uh, try to get some volunteers. Right. Okay? Now, so, uh, <laughs> You know, the choice is, will you, will you be, will volunteer to clean up afterwards? And that is just plain boring mm-hmm. compared to having karma corn. <laughs> Free, even if it's an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to stop that? No, no. no. <laughs> I just want you to be aware of it when you do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I want you to be aware of your motivations for doing it. And I want you to distinguish positive, wholesome motivations from unwholesome, self-centered motivation. And I want you not to be surprised when you realize that there's a mix of those. Right. Okay, so I'll let you all go. But you know your homework now. Like, the main homework, come back in two weeks ready to tell me what you've learned about the fault speech that you ordinarily engage in. Okay? All right. Have fun.